0: Amen. Well, it's preaching time. If you would take your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 9. I had several different passages of Scripture and text on my heart for the service tonight, for the ordination service. But yesterday morning, I got over here in the in the office about quarter after 7 and uh, started in on my first cup of coffee, my first cup of Dunkin'. Can I get a witness? Not Starbucks, not Starbucks. No, I'm a patriotic born again believer. I was drinking Dunkin', amen. (laughs) Come on now. He's a Starbucks man right there. at least he was for tonight. I think, God, I think God's working on him, amen. And I got in the got in the, the Word early yesterday morning, and God began to show me some things out of this chapter, out of this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, that I just don't think I had seen it quite like He showed it to me. And um, if I had any doubts, which I didn't, we were sitting in the office during the time of questioning and Dr. Bittner quoted a couple of these verses and uh, he was just, he was weeping and sharing his burden in his heart to Brother Nathan and I just said, amen, I didn't need any confirmation, but if I did, I just got it, amen. So what I want to do tonight, it's an unusual, different kind of delivery. Uh, for those of you that are have not been in uh any kind of service like this, it's customary to preach a charge to the, the candidate that is being ordained. And so tonight, I'm going to preach uh, pretty much to him. His wife is sitting there. She brought her mom over for moral support. Mercy, your mom ain't going to be happy tonight. But seriously, it's a message that really and truly God laid on my heart to preach. Directly to Brother Nathan and uh, you as a church, we as a church, get to listen in. And um, much of what I say tonight may apply to you. Uh, And if so, uh, as the preacher preached this morning, if God speaks to you, then you respond accordingly. Uh, But immediately after the the message, we're going to bring Brother Nathan down and the ordination council. Men will gather around him, will lay hands on him, and we'll pray and then we will have his dear dad, Brother Brian Patton, come up and pray while we pray with him. You'll lead us in prayer, and um, I want Brother Patton to have a part in this service. He's had a great impact, influence, no no doubt about that, in Brother Nathan's life. So if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter number nine, I'm gonna ask you if you would to please stand with me out of respect for the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter number nine, Verse number 14, for the sake of time, we'll begin there. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die, than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity Is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I become as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law, as without law, not being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth Expound these verses, that we just read verse 14 down through the rest of the chapter tonight. But I want to focus on that word that we find in verse number 16, where Paul said, Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. As I begin to read these verses, I recognized what Paul was saying. I also recognized that if you read the verses, you understand that there were several Necessities laid upon him. And that's what I want to preach on tonight the necessities of the preacher. Lord, help us now as we open the scriptures. I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds, give us liberty and unction and power to preach. May God's people listen attentively. We pray, Lord, especially tonight that Brother Patton, Brother Nathan, Lord, and his wife, Lord, as they sit here tonight under this very public in a very direct charge from the Word of God on this special occasion. May they receive this message and understand, Lord, in their heart, what the Word of God has to say about these things. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. This chapter, uh, the whole chapter, deals with the Apostle Paul and his life and his rights as a minister and talks about the ministry, talks about his responsibilities and and all the things that are involved in the ministry. And there's so much in this chapter that there's no way in the world we can even begin to expound on all of it. The context of this chapter, he starts out verses one down through verses number 14, and he's talking about the church's responsibility to take care of the man of God. I won't labor that point tonight, uh, but I do feel like that it is important because Paul used that to segue into the second half of the chapter, the first part of the chapter, and if you went with us down to Brother Chad Watson's men's conference, you heard about as good a message as you'll ever hear on the church's responsibility to make sure they take care of the preacher, and he used a number of verses that we find multiple times in the scripture, such as verse number nine. for it's written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, And then he asked the question, doth God take care for oxen? That Old Testament verse out of Deuteronomy 25 was not written just to make sure that people's oxen were taken care of, but he goes into verse number 10, says, or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, talking about the New Testament church. God said this a long time ago in the book of Deuteronomy so that when we get over to the New Testament, we could draw from it and make an application and have a principle. And the truth of the matter is, according to verse number 14, the Bible says that the Lord ordained it to be so. And Brother Watson brought out an amazing truth was that we talk about the two ordinances of the church. One was baptism, one's the Lord's Supper. Nobody ever wants to talk about the ordinance of taking care of the man of God. And that's clearly an ordinance according to verse number 14. That's not what I want to preach about. I just wanted to give you the context of the chapter. He went on to say in verse number 10, For saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is, uh, gr- is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? Talking about the money, or talking about uh, the, the, uh, the financial blessings. Again, He goes on, and I don't have time to expound the first 14 verses. I just want to say that in verse number 14, God hath ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is establishing that fact. He's establishing that truth. He says, you know, we could forbear working in verse number six. We have the power to stop selling tents, making tents. If we want to, go full time. That's what we should do. It's probably what we ought to do. For your sakes, we ought to do it. Uh, but the point he's making is that God set it up for the minister, the man of God, those that labor and serve and and, 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 and labor in the ministry to be taken care and live of the gospel, but when you get to verse number fifteen, he changes gears. He changes gears. He 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 makes a very solid case that nobody should have a problem with the man of God being taken care of by the people of God. He establishes that quotes Old Testament verses, and he makes a lot of sense. Uses a lot of logic, a lot of just uh, just common sense. But then he turns and says, "Now that I've said that, now that we went ahead and got that out of the way." I just want to let you know, I'm not in it for the money. Just in case there's anybody thinking that I was, uh, mama called and daddy sent, and that this is just some career that I've chosen for myself because of the perks and the benefits, I just want to let you know, that's not why I'm here. He went on to verse number 15, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. Okay, I just want to let you know, I'm writing this to the church at Corinth. Y'all need to take care of your preacher. You need to make sure your pastor's taken care of. I'm not not in this for me. I'm just trying to teach you some biblical truths. And he turns his conversation from his apostolic prerogatives to his apostolic prayer. This is not what I want for me. This is what I want for the greater good. Paul was more concerned about his reputation than he was about his rights. Paul didn't want to jeopardize his influence by focusing on his income. Paul was more interested in his reward than he was in revenues. Everybody still with me? Paul was writing not about his needs as a man of God, but about his necessities as a minister of God. He waxed eloquent, not about his financial needs, but about the necessity that was laid upon him. One of the things y'all are gonna find out when you get to the mission field is you're gonna live by faith. You're gonna get your support every month and it's gonna be different every month. You don't ever know what you're gonna get because you're getting supported by a bunch of independent Baptists. Right. And depending on if their boat payment's laid or if they're self, they need to upgrade their cell phone plan, Or if they want to take all the kids to Disney World, you may or may not get your support that month. One of the things you're going to have to recognize is that the the paycheck, the salary, the financing is secondary. There's got to be something much greater weighing on you to keep you serving and laboring and ministering in the work of God. And that's going to be a necessity. And that's what I want to focus on by way of introduction. Three things I want to notice about this necessity. He said in verse number 16, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Number one, don't you notice the source of the necessity. That necessity that is laid upon him, that is laid upon you, was put there by God. And that's the thing that you need to, if you haven't already, and I'm sure you have, but you're gonna have to go ahead and get that nailed down. You're gonna have to go ahead and put that in concrete that God called you to preach and that God has has picked you and selected you for a ministry, and for a work, and that that's the one thing that's gonna keep you going on a lot of Monday mornings when you wake up. The source of the necessity, Paul told Timothy, And 2 Timothy 1, 9, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 12, Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And it is important that you understand this necessity that's been laid upon you came from God. God put it there. God put it there. The source of the necessity. Number two, the seat of the necessity. Notice what it says in our text in verse 16. For necessity is laid upon me. It was a personal thing. God put it on him. God laid a necessity on you. When you were 18 years old, You knelt down by your bed and you told God, I will. I'll go. I'm yours. I'll do what you call me to do. He laid a necessity on you that he didn't lay on everybody else. You know that and I know that. There were a lot of young men in your youth group. There were a lot of young men, teenagers around you. But what God laid on you was different I'm not saying that makes you better. I'm saying it makes you different. Y'all do understand what I'm trying to say tonight. You have a unique calling, which is gonna require a unique life. You're gonna have to bear burdens that everybody else isn't gonna have to bear. You're gonna have to have a thought life that everybody else don't have to have. You're gonna have to have have a prayer life that not everybody else is gonna have to have. You're going to have to have a divine commission that others will not have. And you can delegate responsibilities, but you cannot negate that call. You cannot uh, delegate, rather, that call and that necessity. That's on you. You'll try to delegate that necessity. That ain't how it works. At the end of the day, it's on you. And I want to give you a saying tonight that was drilled into me years ago. And this will help you. Others can, you cannot. You're not going to be able to do what everybody else does. You're not going to be able to get away with what everybody else gets away with. Other people can shirk their duty. You cannot shirk your duty. Some people can take it or leave it. You can't take it or leave it. There's a necessity that has been laid upon you. You're gonna have to deal, listen to me, you're gonna have to deal with people that live in disobedience, but the people you minister to shouldn't have to deal with a man of God that's living in disobedience. I'm gonna say that again. Your life is going to be filled with people that choose to live in blatant disobedience to the word of God. But the people that listen to you preach should not have to tolerate a man of God that lives in disobedience to the word of God. There's a difference. You're gonna have to love them. You're gonna have to put up with them. You're gonna have to endure it. They shouldn't have to endure that from you. There will be many days when you're frustrated over the weight of the call. It's on you. The necessity was laid upon you. And there are gonna be days that you don't think you can handle it. There are gonna be days you said, God, why? Why in heaven's name did you call me to do this? If you don't, you're better than Moses. Boy, Moses had a few conversations with God. God. We just read that a couple of weeks ago. He said, God, just kill me. Do us all a favor and take me out of here. I'm done with these people. The burden is more than I can bear. But God has promised he would not put more on you than you can bear. He's promised that. The source of the necessity, the seed of the necessity. Thirdly, the seriousness of the necessity. Look at what it says. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Boy, you talk about serious. Serious, woe is unto me. That's some strong language. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And I've told people before, I said, if you, if you can get out from preaching, if you can get out from under preaching, praise God, I question whether or not you ever called. Yeah. Jeremiah said, I tried one time to quit. I said one time I'll not preach anymore in his name. He said and I sat down put my Bible on the shelf and I decided I'm done with it. He said but there was a fire burning in my bones and I could not forbear. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Man this morning while our souls were being fed and Brother Haynes was up here preaching I was wishing so bad he'd reach over and tag me. I was like Hulk Hogan just right here come on. I'm serious, man. There's two kind of preachers that make me want to preach. Them that can and them that can't. I wake up in the middle of the night preaching. i preach preaching my dreams. You think I'm joking? I wake up in the middle of the night and have to get a drink of water. I've been preaching for an hour while I was asleep. Necessity is laid upon us. There's a, there's a, there's a call and there's an urge and it's serious. You better believe it's serious. Paul's life motto was woe is unto me. I'm a debtor to all men. He said in one place. Well, I got to thinking about that necessity in verse number 16. It's necessary. God has laid upon me, upon my life, upon my shoulders, God has given me some things that are necessary. They're not optional. They're not optional. I'm going to give you three of them tonight. We start in verse number 16. If we go all the way down to verse number 23. I just read these verses. But let me give you the point. Number, first number, the first thing I want to say is. The necessity. To portray. A life of devotion. Now watch this. Woe is unto me. Verse 16. If I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing Willingly. I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, I've got a responsibility. I've got a duty that whether I want to or not, God has given me a responsibility. And he goes on in verse number 18. He begins to talk about preaching the gospel. He begins to talk about making himself in verse number 19 a servant unto, although I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto. Under all, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's exactly what God did to Jesus. Amen. He made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant. And his ministry was one of devotion. His life was one of serving other people. His life was one of ministering to other people, even at the cost of, lack, of losing sleep and not eating. And you know, when he said, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. His life was consumed in portraying the devotion to the God that called him to do what God called him to do. And that life of devotion has got to be so real that people around you see that. This is very important. If you ever give the impression that you're not all in, if you ever give the impression that you don't want to be there and that you don't want to do what God's called you to do, and you ever get to give the impression to the people that you're preaching to that you don't love them and that you're not concerned about them and that you don't care about them, your ministry's over. And he goes on and he begins to expound how sincere and how serious he was about portraying a life of devotion. And he says in verse 20, under the Jews, I became as a Jew. When I was trying to minister to the Jewish people, I did everything I could to try and identify with them. And understand life from their perspective and, and understand where they were. And understand their, their, their hangups and their issues and their sins and their problems and their mindset. So that I can minister to them more effectively. You're going to the Philippines. You're going to have to do that when you get over there. I had to do that when I came to Baltimore. I'm serious. I mean, I came from down south. I've been pulling for the Atlanta Braves and the Georgia Bulldogs my whole life. I've been here two days. and People say, are you a Ravens fan? I was like, yeah, I guess I am now. And you're knocking on doors and they've got Orioles flags and Ravens flags waving and you get up there, you don't get up there and start talking about the Braves. They'll slam the door in your face. Woo, how about them Ravens? Woo, how about the Orioles? Woo, here, take this track. What am I doing? You're identifying with them. He goes on in verse number 20 and 21. He says, when I became a Jew uh, that I might gain the Jews uh, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without the law as without the law. Of course, he had to put a parenthesis. I didn't live like a devil and a heathen. I didn't go nuts. I, I, I remembered who I belonged to, and, and, but I'm trying to identify with people is what he's saying. And he goes on in verse number 22, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. To the weak became I as weak. Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the stock of Benjamin. Mm, I mean power, prestige, sanctioned by the government to go and destroy churches and arrest Christians and, and kill people. He says, but when I was with weak people, I identified with them as best I could. He goes on to say, I made all things to all men, verse 22, that I might by all means Save some. Do you see the devotion? Do you see the portrayal of devotion? Paul's burden for the lost had no limits. He said in one place, and it was such a powerful statement, he had to preface it with, Holy Spirit, bear me witness. I wish myself accursed. I would wish myself accursed that my nation, the people of Israel, might be saved. He said, I've got such a burden for them that I would be willing to go to hell for them. Right. Right. Exactly right. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've never had a burden nowhere near like that. I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to go to hell for nobody. But the Apostle Paul said, the Holy Spirit's bearing me witness. I'm not just up here flapping my gums. I'm telling you, I would wish myself accursed. Come on. I could see people saved. I remember Hudson Taylor, I believe it was, and he went to China. He became a Chinese. He wore the Chinese clothes. Got his hair cut like the Chinese. You know, he shaved his head and had the little thing in the back. Little rat tail, whatever you call it. There's a word for it. I don't know what it is. He ate, their, he ate their food. He learned their language. He immersed himself in their culture. He immersed himself and tried his best to identify as one of them so he could reach them. When we were missionaries in South Africa, you can't get much more contrasted than an American white guy <laughs> with an African black guy in a, in a squatter camp. Okay, you, you stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, it is what it is. But I learned, I learned how to use their language and their phrases, and their greetings. And even when we spoke in English, I talked, I spoke English like they spoke English. My wife will tell you why people couldn't understand me talking to black people in Africa, because I talked like they did. And they've got a very unique way of speaking English. Oh, pastor, it's so good to see you, pastor. Thank you for coming and starting this church. I enjoyed your preaching so very much under the tent. The preaching was so powerful. Oh, I'm so thankful that God sent you to this place to preach to me and to my family. And I said, I'm so glad God sent me here as well. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful that God has sent me and my wife and my children to this place that I may stand and preach the word of God to you and to your family. People look at me like, what's he doing? I'm just trying to com- communicate with them on a level they understand. I'm being a little right. bit facetious tonight. But you understand what I'm talking about. And, and they would accept me like that. And it was great. I got out of so many speeding tickets like that. <laughs> Stand on the side of the road and stick their hand up. And they'd pull up and walk up to me. And i say, do me la le kai. Oh, you speak susutu, so and entaite. Where are you from? Kichwa American Tati Kimaruti. Oh, Yakerikin Yarona. Where do you go to church? And man, they'd get to talking. We get to talking. <laughs> and they'd see my Georgia driver's license. Oh, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor here in South Africa. I'm preaching the gospel to so many people. God's doing so many powerful things. Oh, you have a great day, Pastor. And I drive off. Praise God. I got out of this The ultimate example of that was God sent Jesus to become man. You won't talk about becoming all things to all men that you might win some. Jesus Christ becoming flesh so that he could reach the world. There must be a portrayal of a life of devotion and you don't get to clock out. You're not missionary from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That's not how that works. You're a missionary 24-7. Right. When they knock on your door, you can't say, uh, office is closed. If you're in town buying groceries on Saturday and they come up to you, you can't say, oh, I'm off the clock. No, it's a life. There's a necessity that's laid on you. And it's one that involves a burden. It's the one that involves a love and a compassion for people. And he said in verse number twenty-two, "I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some." Paul knew he wouldn't save them all, but he knew he could save some. In this, I do, verse twenty-three, for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker thereof with you. What an amazing, what an amazing necessity that's been laid upon the man of God. Number two, write this down. Upon you is laid the necessity to pursue a life of discipline. Yes. Look at what he says in verse 24. Down through verse number 26. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the race? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate In all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible. I therefore run. Verse 26. Not as uncertainly. So fight I. Not as one that beateth the air. He says one of the most important necessities. That's laid upon me. As a preacher. Is the need for self control. And discipline. And temperance in all things. Paul's analogy in this verse, he compares the ministry, likens it to running a race. A lot of people running in the race, but not everybody's gonna win. You know who's gonna win? The one that prepared for it, the one that disciplined themselves, the one that practiced, the one that ate right, the one that took care of himself, the one that did all the things that you have to do behind the scenes before race day to win the race. You don't get up out of a recliner and set your Dr. Pepper and your chips down on the on the coffee table and go win a race. There's a lot of discipline that's involved in that. And when you get to heaven, and when I get to heaven, we want to stand before God and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we want to have some crowns given to us that we may be able to cast at his feet. For you to do that, you're going to have to have some discipline. Those things aren't going to magically appear in heaven because you're a preacher. Look at what it says in verse number 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. In all things. That word temperate means to be self controlled, to exhibit self government, conduct. It means in a figure drawn from athletes who prepare themselves for the games and abstain from unwholesome food and things of that nature so that they can prepare themselves physically and mentally for the challenge in front of them. You're going to have to have a life of discipline that everybody else don't have to have if you want to win, if you want a crown. I want to say this tonight. You are a preacher. That should be your identity. You shouldn't be known as a golfer that preaches. You shouldn't be known as a hunter that preaches. You shouldn't be known as a fisherman that preaches. You're a preacher. When they see you in the Philippines, they ought to know that's a man of God right there. I heard about a missionary. I shouldn't say I heard about him. I know the guy. I actually pastored the guy for a while. How do you like that? They got on a mission field. They got abducted, kidnapped. Him, his wife, kids got abducted by a bunch of renegades. And later they was released. You know what it said in the newspaper? American businessman and his wife abducted because all he did was wheel and deal and buy cars all the time. he bought and sell cars all the time. He wasn't known as a missionary or a pastor. He was known as a local American businessman in this foreign country. Now I'm just going to be honest with you. Listen to me now. If something happened to me tomorrow and it said in the paper that a local businessman or a local builder or carpenter, or fisherman, or hunter, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be humiliated. And Everywhere you go, you're a preacher. Everywhere you go, you've got to conduct yourself like a preacher. I don't want to say act like a preacher. It shouldn't be an act. But you understand what I mean when I say when they see you in town, they see your family in town, There ought to be something different about you. By the way, there ought to be something different about all of us. But I'm just pretending y'all ain't here. I'm preaching to him. He compared the discipline in his life to that of a runner and a prize fighter. Prize fighter. Do you know how long boxers have to prepare and train for one match? Months. Months. Floyd Merriweather could come out of retirement right now, and somebody I could probably be beat him. Okay, maybe not me, but <clears throat> <laughs> even when they come out of retirement and they're gonna fight, they have to work out and they have to box and they have to train for months to get their body back like it's supposed to be. Right. And you see these boxers that get in the ring and they can't go for about three rounds and they're dry heaving. you won't know why? They didn't prepare, they didn't have the discipline. They didn't work out, and they didn't watch their diet, and they didn't get their weight like they needed to. They didn't prepare. And in the ministry, you have to stay in a perpetual state of preparation. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. I remember when somebody said something about my father-in-law. I might have been the one to say it. You could call Dr. Ron Young, wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's got sugar diabetes and heart trouble. You could call and wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning and his sugar could be 400 and ask him a Bible question and he could answer it. Chapter, verse, chapter, verse, chapter, verse, chapter, verse. You're not going to catch him flat-footed. Ready, always ready. Discipline, discipline. Stay in that book. Stay on your knees. Discipline. Compared his life as a preacher to that of a runner, to that of a prize boxer because it's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It's a necessity. Multiple mentions, multiple mentions of the reward, the heavenly reward of the earthly sacrifices that have to be made. And you don't always see the payoff down here. God's been good to let us see a lot of them. But we don't see them all. We don't see them all. Verse 19, that I might gain the more. Verse 20, that I might gain the Jews, that I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21, that I might gain them that are without law. Verse 24, so run we that we may obtain. Verse 25, we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. You won't get the crown. You won't hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if you weren't good and faithful. There's a necessity that's laid upon you to pursue a life of discipline. And everybody else can sleep in on Sunday morning. You gotta get up. Everybody else can go to bed a decent hour. Some nights you gotta stay up. There's gonna be things you have to miss. There's gonna be places you don't get to go, things you don't get to do, because the necessity comes first. Thirdly, and lastly, don't get too excited. This is a long point right here. Upon you is laid the necessity to prevent a life of distraction. Look at verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The apostle Paul had a major concern. He had something running in the back of his mind all the time. And that is, he was concerned that he lived his life in such a way that while he was preaching to others, he himself would not become a castaway. Now that word castaway literally means not standing the test, not approved. It's a word that's used to describe metals or coins that are not up to par for the the work and and, and the, the utilization of them that it should be. It goes on and talks about that which does not prove itself to be fit or unproved. And so that word castaway literally means rejected. Let's just say it means rejected. He says, I keep under my body and I bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected or become a castaway. He was concerned about his message being rejected because of a life that didn't match his message. Because he knew that his life, his testimony, his body could distract from his message. Paul acknowledged that he, a preacher, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, was concerned about this. That he could become unfit and a reject and a castaway from what God had called him to do. Let me just mention this, and you know this, but I've got to say this. Paul wasn't concerned about being rejected by God. If you're saved, you've already already been accepted into the blood. You're not going to be rejected by God. You're a child of God. You're born again. Our works and our labor and our efforts can be rejected, though. child of God cannot be rejected by God. Our position is secure. In Christ, as a believer, our position as a pastor or as a preacher is not secure. You can blow it. I can blow it. We can become unfit. We can become disqualified, unqualified. I began to look at this. I realized that a preacher, a preacher, it's a necessity that he present his body a living sacrifice. Paul, when he was writing, he said, I I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12. Present your bodies, bodies. Paul's talking about his body here, not his spirit. (laughs) He's talking about his body. I keep my body under subjection. There's a reason for that. I find it fascinating that Paul didn't talk about his spirit or his attitude. And we hear a lot of people talk about your spirit and your attitude, and that's important. And there's plenty in the Bible about that. But in this particular verse, he's talking about becoming a castaway because of his body. His body didn't match his message. He said in Philippians 1:20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Boy, what a statement, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul said, I don't want anything in my life that would cause me to be ashamed or embarrassed or the least bit intimidated. I want to have full confidence and full boldness because my body's right, my life's right, and I can magnify God with my body. Am I still in the book, Brother Haynes? In order for God to be magnified in our body, we have to bring our bodies into subjection because your body's not on your side. (laughs) this necessity that was laid on you rubs that body the wrong way. Every day of your life, your body's gonna fight that call. It's gonna fight that duty. It's gonna fight that responsibility. It's gonna fight that necessity that was laid on you. Your body don't like it. Our bodies, our flesh is at enmity with God. Everything about the ministry, the reading the Bible, the studying that is much weirdness to the flesh, the praying that is spiritual warfare, the preaching, the confrontation, the soul winning, all of it rubs the body, the flesh, the wrong way. We have to bring our body into subjection so that we can preach the gospel of Christ, we can preach the message, and our body and our flesh doesn't counteract what we're trying to say. So many people fail to understand the importance of their body's role in their testimony. Come on now. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you belong to Him. He owns you, He bought you lock, stock, and barrel. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 6. What? Oh, you didn't know this? What? Am I catching you all flat-footed with this? What? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Which is in you, which you have of God. And ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. People's gonna see your body a long time before they see your spirit. God dictates to us as preachers how we look, how we live, how we portray ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. You've got to represent him with your life, and it's got to match the message of Jesus that you preach with your lips. Amen. Hebrews 12:1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Our weights and sins not only beset us, they beset other people. That are listening to you. If you're saved, it's not your body. Right. Now this has been since yesterday morning. I've been under conviction for two days. All right, About time I get somebody in here with me on this. Come on, preacher. If you're saved, your body is not yours. That's right. Amen. If you're indwelt by the Holy Ghost, your body is his temple. It is not yours to do whatever you want to do with. Amen. If you are a God called preacher, and I believe you are, We wouldn't be here tonight if I didn't. If you are a God called preacher with his hand and his anointing and he's laid that necessity on you, that is not all six foot four inches of that right there. All of it is his. I've heard it all my life. It's my body. I can do what I want to. If you're saved, it is not your body. Ain't nobody going to tell me what I can do with my body. Um, Newsflash, you said you were saved. It ain't yours. Right. Yeah. And if you're a preacher and you're a man of God, and Paul says here, I keep under my body. And i bring it into subjection. A lot of times people's favorite verse is, well, God looks on, man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. That has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. Jesse, David's daddy, didn't think he could be king because he didn't think he was big enough, or tall enough, or handsome enough. When he walked in the door, Samuel looked at Eliab and looked at David. And said, now I know why you left him out there in the pasture. I understand now why you lined up all your sons. Knowing one of them was going to be anointed king. But you didn't bother to go get David. I understand now. But here's the thing, Jesse. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. That verse has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about right now. But since you brought it up. Man does look on the outward appearance. Man does look on the outward appearance. Man does look at the body. And they judge us by what they see. Paul knew his life could be a distraction from the message if it didn't match up. He knew his body could counteract and negate the message that he was preaching to others in verse 27, if he didn't get his body under subjection. And he knew that even though he was preaching to others with love in his heart and passion and fervor, he knew that his flesh, his body, and a testimony that was not maintained could hinder him from doing what God called him to do. He knew if he didn't bring his body into subjection, he could be a castaway. And he didn't want that. None of us want that. He did not want, stay with me, his life and his message to send mixed signals. we got a lot of preachers in pulpits today with a do as I say and not as I do mentality. They talk about loving God. They talk about fearing God. They talk about being sober. And they're a joke. Their life is a joke. Nobody has any respect for them, but they got just enough concern and compassion not to tell them that to their face. And they don't respect them. Right. They don't look like a man of God. They don't act like a man of God. They don't conduct themselves like a man of God. They act like a silly little carnal boy in a preacher's position in the pulpit. Right. Serious business. Well, I made a short list here. I made a short list. Because I... I'm closing my message. He closes his message with this. I keep under my body and bring it under subjection. And I'm going to tell you what will mess you up quicker than anything. You. It won't be the Filipinos. It won't be the people you're trying to reach. Can I tell you who will mess you up and trip you up quicker than anybody? You. Your flesh. I'm I'm my worst enemy. I shave my worst enemy every day. Every day. There's not a day goes by. God help us. There's not a little bit of trepidation inside of me. I don't want to blow it today. Brother Sasser, there's a little bit inside of me every day. This could be the day if I'm not careful. If I don't bring my body into subjection, this could be the day. That I become a castaway. The Bible has clear guidelines on how Christians ought to live that specifically and especially apply to preachers and men of God. Paul told Timothy, Be thou an example, okay? There's qualifications for the bishop, there's qualifications for the deacon, but those qualifications are really for everybody. Everybody ought to be living that way, Amen. Yeah. but especially the man of God, especially if somebody in a leadership position. And I've I've been preaching on leadership for a while, and I'm going to keep hammering this thing throughout the summer till God takes this bird doll of me. Yes, but you've heard me say it more times. And we've sitting that in yonder had staff meetings for hours for the last two years when you were on staff, and you've heard me share my heart about how ashamed I am of men that call themselves men of God that are not true men of God. They have no idea what they're talking about. They took a mantle and put it on themselves. They ordered their mantle off Amazon. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't get it from God. When Elisha threw that mantle on Elijah, the first time he threw it on his shoulders. 20 years later, when he was caught up in a whirlwind, the Bible says Elijah went over there and picked it up. We don't know where it was. He went up in a whirlwind. It could have been 100 yards over there in the bushes for all we know. But he wanted it. He wanted that one. He wanted that mantle. Come on now. I want a double portion of your spirit. That's what I want. He didn't say to Elijah when he said... Ask me whatever you want to ask me, and I'll do it. He didn't say, I want your golf clubs. He didn't say, I want your library. He didn't say, I want your ties. You don't need your ties anymore. I want all your ties. He didn't say that. I want a double portion of your spirit. Right. And of all the miracles that Elijah performed, he never said about any of them what he said about that. He said, Whew, you've asked a hard thing. You've asked a hard thing. And I preached this message last year. If you see me when I go up, if you see me when I go up, you can have it. Verse 12 of that chapter, Elisha saw it. <laughs> you want to know why he saw it? He didn't take his eyes off of him. He was stuck to him like glue, friend. He was so close to him that it took a chariot of fire and it took horses of fire to tear them asunder. He wanted it. And he wanted it bad with 50 other sons of the prophets content to stand two miles off and watch from a distance. He wanted it. And I'm going to tell you why there's a shortage of men of God in this country. They don't want it. They just think they do. They're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to live under that life of necessity that you can't take off in the morning, that you can't get out from under. It's there. God put it there. Paul said, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to blow it. I was looking at the Bible. I said from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. I wasn't, I wasn't just talking. I mean, he talks about the length of your hair. How long your hair is supposed to be in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 14. He talks about your hair. Yeah, I don't let my hair grow out. No, cut your hair. That's why I cut my hair, because the Bible told me to. It's in the Bible. Everything's in the Bible. Everything we need to know about how to please God is in the Bible. From the length of our hair in 1 Corinthians 11 to your thoughts and your meditations, what you think about. You are given strict criteria of what to think about and what to not think about. Right, sir. Yes, sir. He owns your thought life, He controls your thought life. Philippians 4 8. Your eyes. We're talking about from the head to the bottom of your feet. I'm going somewhere. Your eyes. He owns your eyes. He tells us what to look at and not look at. You, re- you quoted the verse in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in my office. He said, don't even look at wine. Don't even look at it. Don't look. Don't look at the cup when it moveth itself aright. Don't even Forget drinking it. Don't even look at it. Now other people's going to drink wine and excuse it. That's their problem. You can't do that. You don't get to do that. You can't look at wine. You can't look at women. You can't look at them. Except her. You can look at her all the time. You can't look at wealth. He talks about being filthy. Covenant is a filthy lucre. You can't look at it. Don't look at them dollar signs and whatever that currency is over there in the Philippines. Don't look at it. Don't worry about it. You just trust God and live by faith. When you get your support check, just take it to the bank, pay your bills, and roll on. Don't even worry about it. Right? The ones that give you support, tell them thank you. The ones that didn't, just pray for them. Don't worry about it. You ain't in it for the money. Don't worry about money. God's going to take care of you. Don't look at money. Don't look at wealth, don't look at wine, don't look at women. See, God owns, He owns your eyes. You've got to bring your body into subjection. Everybody else can, you can't. Your ears. Your ears. He tells you what to listen to and what not to listen to. You can't let nothing in that ain't you supposed to let it in. There's people He tells you not to give ear to and there's things He tells you to give ear to. A lot of stuff. There's things you can't listen to. There's things I can't listen to. You want to know why? It'll cause me to become a castaway. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Your mouth, your tongue. James 3. That very instrument that God gave you to preach and teach and soul win and counsel and pray with people with can ruin you in two minutes. You'll be done. How great a matter a little fire canloth. The tongue is a fire, James 3 says, a world of iniquity that setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made out of the similitude of God. Can a fountain give forth at the same place both sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine figs, so can no fountain, both yield salt water and fresh. You can't stand up and talk about how much you love God, and how much you fear God, how much you love this Bible, and how much you love souls, and then turn right around with your tongue and blaspheme God and curse and swear. Okay. See, he owns this body, and you've got to bring it under subjection so you don't become a castaway. Your heart, your heart, keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your look, your very look, you know what God hates? A proud look. A proud look. The way you walk, the way you conduct yourself, God tells you how to, how to look. Look. Am I still in the book, Brother Leader? Your hands. Your hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. You want to know what Elisha's job was for 20 years? Helping Elijah keep his hands clean. (laughs) Come on now. Yeah. Elisha, Elijah, who could call down fire out of heaven, had to have help to keep his hands clean. You chew on that one a while, friend. Elisha poured water on the hands of the man of God. He could have done it like this and like this, but he had a man to help him so he could get it done. Keep your hands clean. Watch what you touch. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Right. Amen. Come on. Come on. Amen. 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 Flee fornication. Yes. Your hands, your feet. Watch your feet. Watch where you go. Oh God, help us. I'm preaching myself on a conviction up here. <laughs> From the top of our head, the hairs of our head, the length of it to our feet, it's all his body. And if you don't bring that thing under subjection, you'll be preaching to others, and you yourself become a castaway. Brother Benton, am I right? I'm 100% right, it's in there, friend. I ain't making none of this up. If you don't keep it under subjection, get over there to the Philippines. Ain't nobody here to see me, I'll do what I wanna do. And I hate to say it like that, but there's been a bunch of them that's done that. I'm a second generation missionary. I've seen missionaries on the field. I've seen them grow their hair out and drink wine. I've seen them. Ponytail, wine, liquor, the whole nine yards. Getting support from independent Baptist churches that preach against it. And they're over there doing it. Because ain't nobody there to say nothing to them. What they don't know is every time they open their mouth to preach, it goes in one ear and out the other because whoever they're preaching to ain't listening to what they're saying. They're a joke. Is everybody okay with me preaching to Brother Nathan for a little bit? Get over there and walk with God. We're going to have a commissioning service for y'all closer to before you leave. These are kind of overlapping a little bit. Be a man of God. There's a necessity that God laid on you. It's not optional. It's a necessity. There's some things that are necessary. I hope tonight's message will stick with you for a long time. Here's what I want to do.